Sonny was always a good friend to everyone in the youth group. He just wasn't part of the youth group. Everybody knew him, but nobody was really doing anything to try to get him there. Except for David, who had been praying for Sonny for years. You see, eventually David's prayers uh, bled over and, and kind of carried over to his friend named Jonathan. And Jonathan as well started praying for Sonny's salvation. And his challenge came back. God spoke to, to Jonathan and the challenge came back to him. Is that it's good that you're praying for him, but what are you going to do about it? What difference is it going to make? Does it really mean anything? Do you really mean what you're praying? And so Sonny's lack of salvation, does it, does it concern you enough to do something about it? Does it bother you enough to inconvenience yourself, to take time out of your schedule, to actually make a sacrifice? And for these two young men, Jonathan and David... It did. They, they were not willing to take no for an answer. They wouldn't let uh, limited spots at camp stop them from praying for opportunities. They wouldn't let limited financial situations stand in their way. They were willing to carry their friend Sonny repeatedly to the feet of Jesus until he met him himself. And so after years of praying and doing everything they could to bring Sonny to the feet of Jesus... Sonny had this experience with Jesus. He met Jesus. And everything changed, not just for Sonny, but for these two young men and the, the folks that are around them. Because not only did Sonny get saved, he started bringing other friends to, and other people to the feet of Jesus and well, as well. I showed you that video because it's a modern picture of the story we're going to look at in Luke chapter 5 today. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and be turning to Luke chapter 5. It's this modern picture of people who are willing to lengthen their ropes at all costs to do anything that it takes to get others to the feet of Jesus. And so if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke 5. And as you're turning there, I'll remind you, for the past couple weeks, uh, we've been talking about this idea of lengthening our rope, extending our, our outreach, and extending beyond just the walls of this church. We mainly focused on doing that through prayer. And specifically challenging you uh, last week and the week before to be praying for folks who do not know Christ, who, who lack salvation. And so today, we're going to kind of continue that, but we're going to kind of back that up because the challenge that Jonathan received is the chain challenge that I hope we receive this morning. Does it really mean it to you? We're, we're offering and we're willing to pray for folks, but the question should be not are we willing to pray for them, but what are you going to do about it? To what lengths are you willing to go, to, or what steps are you willing to take that are necessary to lengthen these ropes all the way to the feet of Jesus? And so if you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, we'll start in verse 17. We'll read down through verse 26. Verse 17 says, On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came, carrying on a mat a man who was paralyzed. And they tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on the mat through the roof tiles in the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees begin to think, Who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk? 
But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he was lying, what he'd been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were given glory to God, and they were filled with awe and saying, We have seen incredible things today. Let's pray together. How great are you, God. Powerful and majestic. Mighty in all of your ways. Then sings our soul. How great is our God. God, these are the words that we sang to you. God, I pray this is the prayer of our heart. God, not only that we sitting in this room and watching online will know the greatness of the God that we serve and sing and worship, but God, that we will also introduce others to you. God, that we will be the Jonathans and the Davids who will take up your challenge, not just to pray, but to do something about the condition of the world around us. And so, God, I pray this morning, God, that you speak through this text. And God, I pray this morning that we are challenged. God, that we honestly are convicted beyond the walls of this building to do what we see in Scripture. God, to lengthen the ropes to go to the only place that salvation is found, and that is at your feet. And so, God, I pray that you speak to us this moment through your word, God. And God, for some of us, we need to find ourselves at your feet this morning, in this moment. God, maybe for the first time. And God, I pray that that's what happens. And God, for some of us, we've come to this place over and over and over again. And yet we've never brought anybody with us. And so, God, I pray your challenge and your conviction of what are we going to do about it, Father. Let it ring in our ears. Let it pierce us to the innermost being, Father. And God, I pray that you speak. I pray that through your spirit we listen. God, I pray that we are obedient to what you have for us this morning, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Four, almost five years ago, the eyes of the world were on England, and especially a town called Windsor. And you might remember that in May of 2018, the town of Windsor, and specifically uh, the Windsor Castle, was going to be the host of this royal wedding that Princess, or Prince Harry um, and Meghan Markle were going to get married. And the, the world was watching this because it wasn't just a royal wedding that was happening in England. There were uh, Canadian connections. There were American connections. And so the eyes of the world really were going to be drawn to this place, this town called Windsor. And so as we kind of got closer to the big day, we heard lots of news about the preparation that was taking place. We heard about the, the kind of dress she was going to be wearing. We heard about the kind of uh, outfit he was going to be wearing. We kind of heard the decorations and the flowers that were going to be on display there. We, we heard about the procession of how guests were going to be getting into the place, into the, the St. George Chapel there. We heard about this kind of parade recession that was going to happen after the wedding and how they were going to go through the streets. And we heard all about these uh, preparations that were being made uh, for this particular event. 
But we didn't hear about some of the other preparations that were being made. You see, one thing that, that Windsor has is what a lot, a lot of other cities has. They have a homeless population. And their homeless population has kind of found it to their advantage to be close to the castle, right? And because the castle on an average year has about a one and a half million tourists that will come to the castle. And some of them will, will take tours, some of them will come see the ground, some of them will learn the history. And so you've got a million and a half people that are going to converge on this castle over the time span of year. And so folks that are homeless have found it to their advantage to be closer to the castle, be on that main route where people are going to pass. By And if you're fortunate, then some of these tourists are going to have a little extra change and they're going to drop it in your can or they're going to put it in your bag as you're sleeping there on the, the park benches just outside the castle walls. And, and so these folks that have, have found themselves in this homeless situation, they have found their advantage of being close to the castle. Well, as the big day approached, this began to worry some of the, the city leaders of Windsor and they became increasingly concerned of what they called aggressive begging and intimidation. We're, we're increasingly concerned about the bags and the trash that is left by these homeless beggars that's accumulating in the streets near the castle. So for months before the wedding was scheduled to take place in this town, the, the uh, city leaders, they asked the police if they could clean this area out. If they really could kind of go through the town, this, this area right around the castle, especially right around the castle, and, and move those homeless people somewhere else. There was a law that said they could do that. It was written a long time ago. But hey, let's put this law into practice and let's remove these homeless folks. And so they said their main concern was for the safety of the tourists and the crowds and uh, for the wedding that was coming up. But then they kind of got this quote. The whole situation also presents our very beautiful town in a sadly unfavorable light. I mean, I want you to think for just a moment. How bad would it look for the city of Windsor to be hosting the biggest wedding in the world, the, the spectacular event, and the tourists are aggravated, the, the, the uh, international leaders, they're aggravated by seeing folks that are less fortunate than them. How concerning would it be if to get to the castle, they had to step over or around these people who are homeless and they had to walk past them on the park benches. They had to walk past them sleeping in the tents or on the side of the, the, the sidewalk there on the side of the road. Imagine even how bad it would be is if that every picture they got ready to take of this royal wedding outside, there was in the background a homeless person or bags of trash or, or a homeless encampment that was set out right side of the castle. Imagine if, imagine the, the, pictures of the royal wedding and here you have Prince Harry and here you have Meghan Markle, his beautiful bride and all, you see them in the forefront but in the background is this nastiness of the city that's there. We can't let that be our reputation. We can't let that be what people see when they come to our town. So let's clean it up. Not let's get them off the streets, but let's just hide them. Let's just move them back a few blocks, a few acres. Just get them where they're not in the limelight so, so that they're not where people will see. Let's protect the, the picturesque reputation of the city. And so that's exactly what the, peop, the police did. They did what they were asked. They started clearing that area of all the homeless people. And, and that way all the important people, all the royals and all the city officials, they wouldn't have to be bothered. They wouldn't have to see the reality that really was just outside the castle walls. 
They didn't have to see what was going on because everything was kind of shoved off to the side. And it was hard for these city leaders. They, they had a chance that they could, they could, even though this was a common situation, they were going to move it all out so they wouldn't have to see it on that special day. They just could turn a blind eye to it. And, and the eyes of the world wouldn't be focused on this homeless person or that homeless person. They would just be focused on the main event. Now, we hear those stories, and there were actually quite a few of them that came out a little bit later after that wedding. This area uh, was cleared out, and they were kind of hidden away, and these folks were kind of pushed off to the side. But I want you to understand that before we get too hard on the city of Windsor, this is not uncommon. In fact, it's fairly common that when a political leader comes into an area, that there's this group that goes in beforehand and kind of cleans the area up, makes it look the best. Because when somebody as important is in town, we want to make sure everything looks right. We want to put on our best show. and We want to make sure that, that everything seems like it's on the up and up. And, and so the reality is that this is not just a political situation, but it's also a religious situation. And it's a religious situation that has a very deep history. Because I want you to see that as we look in this text today, there were a lot of religious leaders that wanted to ignore the realities of the people around them. There were a lot of religious leaders who saw this main event, but they didn't want to see the reality of what was going on. They really didn't want to see the helplessness and the broken people of the world. Instead, they wanted to, to walk around with these blinders on thinking, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to do this one thing. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm looking at a group in this church... And I'm hearing a group online. And I'm a little afraid that some of us are living a little more like the Pharisees than maybe we're willing to admit. That maybe some of us are just content walking through life with these blinders on our eyes. That we don't want to see the helplessness and brokenness. We don't want to admit it. That we don't want to admit that there are people that are helpless and hopeless and broken that are around us. You see, this is where the religious leaders and the, the Pharisees are at. Luke tells us in this story in verse 17 that we're going to look at. He says that I want you to notice. He's going to tell us about these religious leaders. But I want you to notice where they're at. And then I want you to notice where they came from. Right? Because it's going to make a difference in how we view these folks and, and kind of the position they're in. In verse 17, he says, Now, on one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. And so Jesus is in this house. We're going to pause right there. Jesus is in this house. And the religious leaders and the Pharisees have filled this house up. Man, they are, they are sitting there literally at His feet. Where Jesus is talking and where Jesus is teaching, they are as close to Him as they can get. The walls are lined with them. They're all over the place. They're, they're sitting at His feet. And it sounds exactly like where we should be, right? In fact, we're going to sing a song later about being at the feet of Jesus. And that's a great place to be. That's honestly where we we are praying that we are right now. We're sitting and listening to the words of Jesus. We're sitting and we're listening to what Jesus has in this moment. It's a beautiful thing to be at the feet of Jesus. So hear me say this. Where they're at is not the problem. The problem is the path they took to get to where they're at. So let's finish reading verse 17. Let's read on in that verse. Teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal 
was in him. You see, these guys had come from all over the place. Some had come from the north, that's the villages of Galilee. Some had come from the west and the east, that's those villages of Galilee again. Some came from the far south of Judah and Jerusalem. They came from all over the place. They converge on this town and really on this one house that Jesus is teaching at. They, they come from all directions. And it doesn't say this in Scripture, but I want you to understand that he's given us the details of where these folks came from because there's a pretty good chance that at least some of them had to come past this beggar, right? You see, just because like in the town of Windsor in the first century, folks who were disabled and folks that had to beg to make a living, this is what they did. They found the place where it was most popular. They found the place where they were going to have most interaction with people. They found the place. They didn't go to the back streets. They were always there on Main Street. Most of the time they were sitting outside the city gates, just as close to the city gates as you can get because that's where the most traffic was. And if you're relying on someone to drop bread for you or drop change in a cup for you, you want to be where people are at. And so regardless of where these folks come from, north, south, east, or west, some of them had to come past him at some point because he lived his life there right by Main Street, right where these cities kind of intersected. And so they, they walked right past him. You see, in many of these different religious leaders come from all these different directions, there's this good chance they walked right past this man. And maybe, maybe we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they were just running a little bit late. Maybe their schedule was a little full and maybe they had overbooked themselves. Maybe it was this last minute thing they heard that Jesus was in this house. And, and so maybe they were in a rush. And so maybe, just maybe, we'll give them a little bit of credit here. Maybe they were in, in such a rush to go hear Jesus. They just didn't have time to see the needs of the folks they passed along the way. I wonder, I honestly wonder if maybe that's some of us. Some of us that are sitting here. I wonder if, if we've ever been so busy getting to church that we forgot to be the church on the way. That we forgot to see the people that we passed coming here. And, and maybe it's not even church stuff. Maybe it's that your calendar is just so full that you're so busy doing all of these things that you forget that you're not just going from one destination to the other. There really is a journey. There's a path that God's put you on. And in that path are people that are helpless and broken and need to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. And I can't help but to think that some of these folks busy in their schedules were just so busy they were just trying to get to church. They were just trying to get to the feet of Jesus. They really just didn't have time to look at all the things that were around on their way. And so let me ask you a question for you folks that drove here this morning. Maybe for you folks that drove to a different church this morning. Let me ask you this question. How many houses did you pass on your way to church this morning? How many houses do we pass Every single Sunday or Wednesday that we come here. And for some of us, we can count those. We live fairly close. For some of you, you live a little further away. And maybe that's a little harder for you to count. But think about it for a moment. How many houses did you pass to get here this morning? Let me ask you a follow-up question. How many of those people live in those houses that you know? Maybe the harder question is, do you know their struggles? Do you know their heartaches? Do you know their situations? Let me ask you maybe the hardest question. Do you even care? You see, we're here. And we're here gathered to hear God's Word. And we're here gathered to be at the feet of Jesus, to sing, worship, and praise Him. And being here is not a problem. It's a great place to be. It's where we should be. 
But my question is, how much of what we came here to hear are we going to go out here to do? You see, as we read this passage, we begin to realize that some of these folks may have just been in a hurry and some of them may have just passed by this guy because they were in such a hurry. They were running late to try to get to Jesus and it was just, it was just a problem. They just didn't see it. But I can't help but to think that some of them got there early and they got there early and it wasn't that they didn't see. They just didn't care. And they just didn't see or believe the reality of the man's situation. They, they saw this man. For some of them, they probably lived in this town. And they probably knew this man. He'd probably been there for years. And they probably had built in their mind these kind of stories of like, well, he's really fine. He'll be okay one day. Somebody else will take care of him. There'll be somebody else's job. He's fine. He's really just lazy. He really can get up and he really can walk if he just wants to. And the problem isn't that he can't do it. The problem is he just doesn't want to do it. He just doesn't want it bad enough. And so just he's just this lazy, no good for nothing that's sitting there. And he's just laying there. He's doing nothing instead of getting up and doing what he should be doing. And to have that mentality, to have the description that we know his, his situation, and yet that's their mentality is really to overlook the reality this man is living in. Because the reality that this man is living in is that he is paralyzed. And I can assure you that having the description and having what this man did after he encounters Jesus, that if he could have got up from that mat, he would have. Because I want you to, give a, I want you to see a picture. I want you to have this mental idea of what it looks like for somebody in that time frame and somebody in that, that century to be in this, this, this physical situation. You see, for him, the future only got darker and darker and darker. He literally laid at this mat day in and day out. If he was lucky, he had somebody drag him out there in the morning who would drag him back home at night. If he wasn't lucky to have a friend that cared that much for him, he literally slept right there on the side of the street. Cars going by, not cars, they didn't have cars back then. Horses going by, people walking by, camels, whatever you want. Walking, dust flying everywhere. And where's he at? Sitting there on his mat because he literally cannot go anywhere else. And you see, his future is hopeless. He has no ability to do anything. And if he could do anything about his situation, he would have. Because the only thing he sees tomorrow is it's going to be worse than today. And the only thing that's going to be worse than that is what's going to happen the next day. You see, the longer he lays there in this inability to move on this mat, his skin is going to start to break down. And he's going to start to get these sores that develop on different parts of his skin. And he can try to rotate, he can try to move, but eventually these sores are going to start to form. His skin is going to become thinner and thinner and thinner. He's going to get these what we call bed sores today. Except they were just sores on his skin. Now let me take that a step further. You see, because these sores start to develop, and he didn't have the soap, he didn't have the bandages, he didn't have the antibiotics to take care of it. So eventually what happens to a sore that just keeps getting filled with dirt? It gets infected. And then those sores start to ooze and, and get infected. And then that infection starts to spread. And eventually this is going to kill this man in a very agonizing, painful situation. You see, that's if he doesn't die of starvation or dehydration before then. You see, the moment that he's living in is the best moment of his life. It's only going to get worse from this moment on. The hunger that he feels is just going to get worse. The, the thirst that he feels is just going to get worse. The sores that have started in his legs are just going to get worse until his whole body is completely consumed and wasted away from this disease. You see, I share that story with you because that is the reality this man is living in. And yet, what do people do? He could do it if he wanted. 
He's just lazy. And they totally disregard the reality of the situation that man's living in. But can I share with you something? What we see physically in this man is what we see spiritually in the lives of anybody who's disconnected from Christ. Anybody who doesn't have a relationship with Christ, and some of you may be sitting here this morning, this may be you, that today is the best it's ever going to be for you. And you're looking around, you're like, man, there's got to, maybe tomorrow will be better. It's not. For someone who doesn't know Christ, there is no hope, there is no future, there's nothing to look forward to. Even in this, this sores that they're in, these sins and these, these problems, the sins that they're living in, the results of these sins, they're just going to get worse until they completely consume the life of that person. And then it's even going to get worse because death is not the end for them. It's only the beginning of an eternity they're separated from God. It's only the beginning of eternity where their anguish and their anxieties and their, their, their physical pain and suffering and torment, it only continues for the rest of eternity listen to me the reality of the people who don't know christ that we bypass every single day today is the best day they're ever going to have and some of you sitting in here this morning that's not what you wanted to hear you didn't want to hear that today was the best day you're ever going to have hold on because we can change that we can talk about that in just a little bit but for some of you, you know because you're, you feel what this guy is going through. It's not a physical thing, but it's a spiritual thing for you. And you're living in agony and torment. And you see all of these people who are walking back and forth. And they've got all their life together. And you're just trying to figure out how to get to what they've got. How to do what they're doing. And how to have their life put together and reconnected. And you're just wishing you had that. I'm going to show you how to get that in just a little bit. But see, there's so many of us sitting in here this morning that we'd rather, rather walk around with these spiritual blinders on than face that reality. We'd rather walk around and see this world around us with these kind of rose-colored glasses. We, we kind of would rather uh, kind of imagine that, that eventually everybody's going to do what they need to do. We just kind of want to imagine that, that everybody's going to make their way to heaven. And we fail to realize that the reality of people who are, are living without Jesus, that are spiritually broken because they're separated from Christ, they cannot do this on their own. They're broken because they're not connected with their Creator. They're helpless to fix their own situation. They're hopeless because they have have no hope and the day is the best day of their life and can I share with you that many of the people I'm talking about these are our family members these are our co-workers and these are our neighbors and these are our friends and these are our classmates and these are the people that the question really becomes do we care enough to do anything about it you see many of us won't do anything about it because we don't realize the seriousness of their situation we don't realize the depths of despair of their situation. We don't understand that there really is this eternity at stake. And we don't understand. And we want to walk around with these spiritual blinders on that say, hey, we don't have to worry about it. It's somebody else's job. And we don't have to see this reality that hell is real and it's hot. And it doesn't just last for a few days or a few weeks. It is an eternity. And the people who, are, who we know and love, that's where they're headed. And how can we not want to do something about it? How can we continue to bypass them and step over them if we know this is the despair and this is the reality that they're facing? And the question becomes not, do we see it? But sometimes the question is, do we really care enough to know anything about it? To want to do anything about it? You see, some of the religious people, they didn't see the need. Some of the religious people, they just didn't care enough to help. But I'm thinking there may be some they just didn't know where to go for help. They just didn't know what to do in this situation. They saw a need and they felt bad about the need. They just were from out of town. They just didn't know where to go for help. 
when I was in youth ministry, we took mission trips uh, just several different places. And one of the things I always did before I showed up with a group of teenagers was I would go to that place before. Several months before I would do a site visit, and I would go and, and I would see several things, right? Lots of things that I wanted to make sure I had lined up before I showed up with 20 to 30 teenagers and just let them run wild, right? There's important things you need to know, right? One of the things is, where are we going to sleep, right? That's an important question when you got that many teenagers. Second question, where are we going to eat, right? Those, that's, that's probably the most important question when you got a group of teenagers, right? Third, how are we going to occupy our time? Right? We've got these teenagers. What are we going to be doing? What mission sites are we going to be at? What do we need to make these mission sites work? How will we be most effective while we're there? So that's number three. My fourth question, and this will sound odd, where's the closest hospital? And how do I get there? All right. Now that was information I always ask. I never wanted to use it, but it was always information I asked. And it's always information I needed because if something happened, I need to know where to go to get help. I need to know where these people who have been trusted to me in my care, where I could take them. And honestly, these were people I loved and I cared for myself. I raised many of them like my own children. And some of them have followed me even to this church today. And I love them and I care for them and I love them like my own children. And so I needed to know if something goes south, this is where we're going to go. And we're going to get them there as quickly as we can because this is where help is. right? And for many of these people... In this story, they just didn't know where to go for help. But fortunately for this man, his unnamed friends knew exactly where their friend needed to go and where they needed to go to get help for him. Let me back up just a little bit and show you how they knew this. In verse 15 of Luke chapter 5, a few people had, uh, uh, Jesus had already healed a few people and word started to spread. And so in verse 15, it says, But news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed from their sickness. And so it's evident that Jesus has this power to heal that nobody else has. In fact, we read it earlier in verse 17. At the end of verse 17, it says, And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Right? But he'd been healing, and so words had started to spread, and so news had kind of gotten out. Even before Facebook and all this social media, news had gotten out. There's this man named Jesus, and he has abilities that nobody else has. And so if you're looking for healing, that's where you go. And so I can almost hear this conversation that's happening between these friends and this paralyzed man. Now, i got to share with you, this is the Michael Rakes version. Right? This is not in the Scripture. This is not in any translation you're going to read. This is simply my thoughts, and this is how I picture this going. I can almost picture this conversation, because we honestly don't know any of these men's name, um, but, but we're going to give them some names. And so this is how I picture what's happening between verse 17 and verse 18. The paralyzed man, we're going to call him John. It's a popular name. There's lots of Johns in the Bible, so we're just going to pick this guy. This guy's named John, all right? And so John's laying there on his mat. And his two friends, Joe and Bill, and again, we don't know their names. This is the Michael Rakes version, so I can make it up what I want to. Joe and Bill come by, and they're like, hey, John, listen, we've got some great news for you. There's this man who's come to town, and he's been traveling all over the area. He's been in all these different villages and all these different towns. He's a teacher, but he's not only a teacher, man. He can do great things. He's healing anybody that comes to him, anybody that brings a friend or anybody that, that comes to him with a sickness or illness. He's healing them. Everything from the unclean lepers, he's touched them and he's healed them. Everything from the broken and those that have issues with blood, he's touched them and healed All the people that everybody else has written off, they've come to Jesus and he's healed every single one of them. John, we've got to get you to Jesus. And John's sitting there. He's heard this buzz because he's sitting beside the road and he hears all these travelers coming in. He heard about this guy named Jesus. He's like, do you really think that's going to work? And do you hear the faith of his friends? Listen, it's going to work. 
He's done it all with everybody else. And if we can just get you to Him, if we can just get you there, then it's going to happen. You will be healed and you'll be restored and you'll be made new. And so John's like, that sounds great, except we got one problem, guys. I can't get there. This is all I got. And I'm stuck here. And so then Joe and Bill said, that's all right, John, we got a plan. You see Leroy and Bob over there, we brought them with us and they're going to help us carry you to Jesus. We're going to get you to Jesus and again, this is the Michael Rakes version, so don't look for Leroy in the Bible. He's probably not there. Maybe he is, and I don't know it, but this is the Michael Rakes version. So they, they said, listen, we're each going to grab this corner, and we're going to be gone. And so they each grabbed this corner, Leroy, Joe, Bob, Bill, and, and Bud. They're all there, and they're all carrying him by a corner, and they're all carrying John to Jesus. And, and I can almost picture, this is how we get to the real text in verse 18. Just then, some men... That's, that's Joe, Bill, Leroy, and Bud, all right? Just kidding, we don't know them. But that's them. Some men, we don't know their names came carrying a mat and a man who was paralyzed. And they tried to bring him in and set him down before Jesus. You see, because they had heard, they knew that this man needed to be. They, they knew exactly what this man needed. Where this man needed to be was not at the city gates. It was not where everybody else told him to be. It was at the feet of Jesus. And these men knew it. And what were they going to do? Anything they could to get him there. And so they, they, all of their hopes rest in getting this friend to the feet of Jesus. And so again, what is true physically for this man is true spiritually for the helpless and broken people of our lives. What they need is to be at the feet of Jesus. You at the feet of Jesus is where forgiveness is found. We're going to skip down to verse 20. At the end of verse 20, Jesus tells the man, the paralyzed man, He says, friend or man, your sins are forgiven you. And as soon as Jesus says this, religious leaders, they're about ready to lose it. Who is this? He can't talk like this. And so in verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to think, who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? All right? And so we give the, the scribes and the Pharisees a hard time throughout Scripture. But at this point, they're right on. Right? At this point, their theology is correct. The only person that forgives sins is Jesus. Why? Because the offense of a sin is against Jesus. It is Jesus that you have offended with your sin. It's Jesus' laws that you're broken. And the only person that can forgive you is, is God Himself. All right? You don't get to punch me and go ask my wife for forgiveness. It doesn't work that way. If you offend me, you punch me, you have to come to me. All right? So what these scribes and Pharisees are saying, listen, the offense was against God and only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus doesn't correct their theology. He affirms their theology in verse 23 and verse 30, or 24. Not only does he affirm their, affirm their theology, but he, refer, he affirms his divine authority to do this. All right? So in verse 23, he says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, Get up and walk, or get up and walk. Verse 24. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. See, at the feet of Jesus is where forgiveness happens. At the feet of Jesus is where healing takes place. And, and this all-sufficient hope that we have to offer to this lost and broken world, we have the answer. We know where to go. We know what the situation is. We've seen how bad it is. And we know where the cure lies. And it all lies at the feet of Jesus. Let me tell you something very freeing. It does not lie in you. It does not lie in your ability to persuade someone to come to the feet of Jesus. It doesn't lie inside the walls of this building. The healing and forgiveness that people are seeking and desperate for, it only happens at the feet 
of Jesus. It doesn't happen because Michael Rake said so. It doesn't happen because you have the ability to persuade someone. It doesn't happen because they came into a church. It happens because they're at the feet of Jesus. And anything else sells short the glory in the gospel that is what he says it is. And so it's not in me. It's not in our abilities. It's not in a building. It is only at the feet of Jesus. And he affirms their theology and he affirms his ability to forgive sins. And so even since we know where to go, the question is, are we willing to go that distance? Are we willing to lengthen the ropes to get folks to where we know they need to go? Or are we going to stop short? Are we willing to go the full distance? Or are we willing to give up and say, hey, you know what? We tried. We gave it all we could. You see, these friends, they proved that they were willing to do whatever it took to go the full distance to get this man to the feet of Jesus and, they, and they weren't going to let anybody or anything else stand in their way in doing this. Why don't you again revert to the Michael Rakes version of this story? Because I can imagine as these four men are holding this mat and they're walking, I can imagine as they're walking across town, they're getting closer to Jesus, there's this excitement that's building the closer they get to Jesus because they know without a shadow of a doubt this is where this man needs to be. And there's excitement that's building. I can almost hear the conversations. And Leroy looks at John. He's like, John, you're getting ready to walk, man. You're, you're, it's going to happen for you. And maybe this is the first time in a long time. Maybe it's the first time in your entire life. You're getting ready to walk. John, what are you going to do? What's the first thing that you want to do when you have power in your legs to get up and do something on your own? John, what are you excited about in this moment? And I can almost hear this conversation. They get closer to Jesus, and all of a sudden they round the corner, and the Jesus is in the next block, and they round this corner, and there's this huge obstacle standing in the way. You see, in the house is all of these other people. That, that verse 19 reminds us there's already this massive crowd that's there and the house is filled to the brim with all these religious leaders. And I'm guessing, and it's just a guess, that none of those people in that house are willing to step aside. None of them are willing to step outside and make room for this person who needs to get to the feet of Jesus. And it almost makes me wonder how many times religious leaders and religious people, how many times we are the obstacles that stand in the way of block people from getting to Jesus. Can I tell you a secret? Some of you know this. Within the next month, maybe a little more than that, we're going to open up a coffee shop and an ice cream shop downtown Cleveland. We're going to open this little store called Common Ground, a coffee and ice cream shop. Can I share with you that there are people around there that need to get to the feet of Jesus? But can I share with you the reason we're opening a coffee shop there instead of here? Is because sometimes here is just too full of religious people and it blocks the people that need to get to the feet of Jesus. You see, can I share with you, there are people who pulled into our parking lot. I don't know if it happened this morning, but there are people who are already hesitant about coming into church and they pulled into a parking lot and there was this crowd of people standing in the front door and they're like, mm, nope, too crowded. And they turned and went back home. There are some people who walked into our church, maybe not today, maybe in times just sitting and listening to how my life is right now. You see, sometimes we, in our best intentions as religious people, sometimes we're the obstacle that blocks people from getting to Jesus and hearing the grace they need to. And so we're going to open up a coffee shop that's not in this building because sometimes we get too many of us in this building. We become the obstacle to the people who need to get to the feet of Jesus. So we're going to open up this coffee shop and we're going to clear out some space and we're going to have room for people to get to the feet of Jesus and we're not going to be the obstacle that stands in the way of there anymore. So I want you to just picture and hear this conversation. They come around the corner and they see this huge crowd and they, they just don't know how to get through. They're just looking for a way to get to the door and they can't get through the door and no one's willing to let them in. And I imagine 
how different the story would be if they just looked at John and they just said, hey, listen, John, we tried. We got you this far, but really there, there's no way to go any further. We've got you close to Jesus, but we just can't take you all the way, man. It's just not going to happen. And so the best thing we can do is just take you right back and dump you where we found you. It'd be a very different story, but let's be honest with you. And ourselves, how many of us, that's what we've done. How many of us have gotten somebody close to the feet of Jesus? Maybe we prayed for them at the feet of Jesus, and yet we couldn't get them there. We weren't willing to do what it took to finish the job. And so we just said, hey, we'll just take you back. We'll dump you out. You see, but not these guys. These guys weren't going to take no for an answer. They were determined, and they knew their friend was in this desperate need, and they knew that Jesus was the only answer. And so once you look in verse 19, what they did in verse 19, it says, since they couldn't find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof. Let's pause there and understand their roofs were different. They weren't pitched roofs like ours. They were, they were these flat roofs and, uh, that you could walk on them. And sometimes people even slept on them. And, and so sometimes there was a set of steps built into the side of a house. And, and sometimes there weren't. And sometimes there was just a ladder propped up there. But either way, they make this choice. We're going to get John to the roof. And we pick up in verse 19. They went to the roof and they lowered him on the mat through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. I want you to picture these four men Hauling dead weight. I don't know if you've ever tried to lift somebody who's dead weight. I don't know if you've ever tried to lift somebody who's dead weight on top of a house. But that's what these men are doing, whether it's stairs or whether it's a ladder. However it is, they're going to get John. They're going to get this guy up on top of the roof. And then they get to the top of the roof and they're like, all right, now what? All right, what do you mean now what? Now we're going to tear this roof apart and we're going to get him down there. Oh, wait, 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 whoa. We're not trained for that. We're not roofers, and we don't have the tools that roofers have to do this job. Sorry, John. We tried. Man, we got you so close to Jesus, but, but we're not trained for this. We don't have what it takes to do this job. This is somebody else's job, so we're either going to have to call somebody else, or we're just going to have to take you back. No, no. That's not what the story says. What the story says is they started kicking. And they started peeling off tiles of the roof and teared, literally tearing this roof apart with their bare hands. And John over there is like, what in the world are you guys doing? John, we're going to get you to Jesus. And then they've got this big hole in the roof. And, and you can kind of picture the religious leaders like, these dudes are nuts. This guy is crazy. What in the world is going on? And yet none of them clear out. They're all just still standing there kind of looking up, kind of figuring out what's going on. And then they've got this big hole and they're like, now what? Now we get him down there. Now, hold on, John. We're going to get these ropes. Who's got a rope? Anybody got a rope? No, let's go find a rope. And so they go find a rope, and they get that rope, and they start tying these ropes, one to each corner. And this is, again, this is how I'm picturing this. It doesn't tell us this. I picture one of them on each corner. And, John, just hold on. This is going to work. Now, I don't, I'm not a paralyzed man, but if I was a paralyzed man, this is the part I probably would be a little nervous about, all right? But he's trusted these friends all this way. And John, we're going to get you there. And so these four men get these ropes and they begin to lower him down inch by inch from the roof all the way to where he needs to be. It says in the text, they lower him down to the middle of the room. Guess who's in the middle of the room? Right at the feet of Jesus. Let me tell you a secret. All those religious leaders who wouldn't get out of the way when the roof started falling in, they started moving out of the way. When they see a man start being lowered to the feet of Jesus... Let's back up and let's make room for this because something weird is happening. Something amazing is getting ready to happen in this situation. But I want you to understand that these guys at any point could have stopped. They could have stopped before they got to the roof and said, John, sorry, we tried. 
They could have stopped once they, once they couldn't get inside. They could have stopped when they got on the roof and said, Hey, John, we're not, we don't have the tools. We're not trained for this. We just can't do this. We'll just have to take you back. They could have stopped when they said, Hey, we don't have ropes. We don't have what it needs, what we need to do this. They could have stopped in any situation, but they didn't. You see, they are the example of what it looks like to lengthen your ropes all the way to the feet of Jesus. You see, every time they could have stopped, they didn't. Because instead of saying, we can't do it, they said, we can do it if this will happen. We can do it if we can get to the roof. We can do it if we can get a hole in the roof. We can do it if we can get ropes to lower him down. We can do it if we don't mind doing a little deconstruction and doing a little messy work. We can do it if we can get him to Jesus. We can make this happen and he can be healed and he can be restored. And he can live a life that is completely different than the destruction and the hopeless situation he's in now. You see, too often we as Christians living today, we will stop at every obstacle and we will just stop the whole process. And we'll come up with these excuses. Like, Jesus, I'm not prepared for this. Jesus, this must be somebody else. Let me call a professional to do this. I'm not trained to do this. I don't have the tools to do this. Can I share with you the only tools these guys needed was their heart's desire to get their friend to Jesus. They didn't need training. They didn't need to be roofers. They didn't need the tools. They just needed the passion and the desire to get this friend to Jesus, regardless of what it cost them, regardless of what stood in their way. They had zero reason why they were going to give up. And so instead of saying, we can't do it, we can say, God, I will do this if you help me. God, I will share my faith if you help me, because I know that in sharing my faith, God, you will help me. God, I will do this. I will lead someone to Christ. I will bring them to your feet if you will help me do this, if you will give me the words to say. And you see, when we limit ourselves to our excuses, we're willing to stop the first obstacle that runs into our that comes in our path. You see, but the reality is that if we're willing to stop at the obstacles, it means we either don't see the reality or we really don't trust how great our God is. You see, the reality is that if we know their difficulties, we know how broken they are, we know the answer is Jesus, then there should be nothing that holds us back from getting to where we need to be, getting from where this friend needs to be. And so we see John laying there on the floor right at the feet of Jesus. And, and he's right where he needs to be. And Jesus is standing over him. There's this big hole over Jesus' head in the roof. And instead of looking straight down at the man, he looks up at the friends in verse 20. And seeing their faith, it became tangible when they did something about it. You see, prayers are tangible only to God. But he says he sees their faith because they did what needed to be done to get this friend to Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, your friend, your sins are forgiveness. Their faith, wasn't, it wasn't John's faith, it was their faith that made all the difference for John. It was their faith that led him to the feet of Jesus. It was their faith that said Jesus is the way and Jesus is the answer. It was their faith that caused healing and forgiveness to happen there for John. But i got to share with you, it wasn't just John that got into blessing that day. You see, we finished this story in verse 26, you see this, there is this faith in God and this glory and worship that increase. And, and so in verse 25, John gets up and he takes off his mat and he, he goes home and he glorifies God. I can't imagine that he just walked. I imagine he, he maybe danced a little bit, maybe did a little jig on the way out of the door. I don't know. It doesn't say that. That's my version, not the scripture version. But then we look at verse 26. This is how the people react. Verse 26 says, Then everyone was astounded. And they were given glory to God and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. I want you to hear my heart for a moment. If I had one prayer 
for Cornerstone Baptist Church. If I had one prayer for Cleveland and for the West Rowan area and this area that we lived in, it's that verse right there. I want us to see incredible things. I want us to experience the glory of God and be filled with awe and wonder at His power. But listen, it's only going to start if we see the needs of the people around us. It's only going to start when we become serious about the people who are broken and desperate, those that are outside the walls. It's only going to start when we're willing to say the only hope they have is at the feet of Jesus. It's only going to see incredible things and glorify God when we're willing to lengthen our ropes and not let any excuse or obstacles stand in our way. When we were willing to bring people to Him. You see, that's when we'll see incredible things. That's when word of God will spread. And that's when people say, I don't know what's going on with Jesus in this town, in this little church that started this coffee house and put lights on a ball. I don't know what's going on there. But I'm curious enough to go find out for myself. You see, we got one question. Let me close with this. Who is the one person that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get them to the feet of Jesus? You see, these men, they didn't carry the whole crowd. They didn't carry a whole town. They just carried one person. One person who was broken and helpless and hopeless. And they brought him to the one place that he could experience forgiveness and healing. And when that one person was brought to the feet of Jesus by these other people, the whole area saw great things. And so I'm not asking you to carry the whole town of Cleveland. I'm not asking you to carry this whole se- uh, section of West Rand or East Ireland. I'm, car- I'm not asking you to carry all of that. You know what I'm asking you for? One person. Who is the one person that comes to mind that you know needs to be at the feet of Jesus? Who is the one person that you would come to this altar and you would lay their name at the feet of Jesus? Who is the one person that you would pray for their salvation for however long it takes? And who is the one person that you would care enough about to actually put your faith into action so that God and others can see your faith? And regardless of what stands in your way, you will lengthen the ropes to get them to the feet of Jesus because you know beyond a shadow of a doubt That is what the only cure for their situation is. Who is your one person? Let's pray together.